Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you, you've ever asked for something or desired something only to regret it after you got it? Anybody like that this, this evening? You, you wanted something, you, 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 th- you wanted it, you desired it, you maybe even asked for it, and after you got it, you had some regrets that you had. I've been there before. How many of you have ever ordered something at a restaurant only to wish you hadn't? Anybody like that? Every time I go to the Cheesecake Factory, I have this feeling of regret. Two reasons. One is they have the world's biggest menu, and it's, it's like a, a paralysis by analysis. It's, I, I, my, I'm a very analytical thinker. I, I, I want to make sure I make the right choice in every scenario, and there are just too many choices. It's like an 80-page novel, the Cheesecake Factory menu. And I look, and I think, oh, that looks good. I think I'll try that. Oh, man, that looks really good. And then I look at that table over there, and then I, and I order something, and without fail, whatever I order— I eat it with this little tinge of regret as I see somebody else's meal walk by the table. I should have got that one. And then my second regret at Cheesecake Factory every time is when I walk into the lobby, there are always three or four cheesecakes that I'm going to order at the end. And every time by the end of the meal, I have no room left for a cheesecake. It's called Cheesecake Factory. And I don't know, very rarely do I ever actually get to eat cheesecake there because I'm full by the end of it. So I get mad. The whole reason I came here, Craig, I didn't even get to eat it. And uh, you've been there, though. You order something at a restaurant only to regret it later. Maybe you order dessert when you knew you shouldn't. And what do we say sometimes? My eyes were what? Bigger than my stomach, we'll say. And, and, uh, and, and, and we, we, we want something. We think we want something, and then we end up not really wanting what we ordered. And uh, any of you, you ever bought something? It seemed like a good purchase, but not too long after. Maybe as you walked out of the store or drove off the lot, or whatever it might have been, uh, you bought something and it seemed like a good idea, but not too long after you realized you made a mistake. Anybody been there? Okay, not just me. We call that buyer's remorse, right? And uh, this evening, we have a saying in our vernacular for some situations like that in this series on toxic leadership. This evening, we're going to begin with a series entitled, Be Careful What You Wish For. Be careful what you wish for. That thing that you think is going to make you happy sometimes brings with it some regrets. That decision that you think is a good idea sometimes brings with it regrets. That thing that you ask for, you desire, you crave, we're going to see it in our scripture tonight, you sometimes come to regret those things. And this is going to be a study on the life of King Saul, but I'll be honest up front, tonight we're really not going to see much about King Saul. Tonight, it's an introduction of how does King Saul come onto the scene? How how do we get a King Saul? Where where does King Saul come from? And I'm really excited about the character study of Saul and and some things that God's already convicted me about in my own life and leadership. We're going to dig into the characteristics of his life. And King Saul really was an amazing man with a lot of great potential and promise. But he started out with that, but he did some things in his life that brought great shame to him, to his family, to his kingdom. He ended up dying in, in, in great disgrace. 
And we're going to look at what were those things in his life that we can learn from uh, that hopefully we don't end up the same way. We start out well. We start out in God's plan, in God's position for our lives. But along the way, we make some decisions that lead us to some major regret and maybe even disgrace in our lives. And that can happen to any of us. Someone, we're going to look at King Saul's leadership, someone defined leadership as influence. They said that leadership is influence, and there are other definitions, but the idea being that you're only as much of a leader as the influence you have in someone's life. If I say, well, I'm the boss, well, guess what? If those underneath me don't listen, if I'm the boss, so to speak, at work, and and the employees under my leadership don't listen, I'm really not much of a leader, am I? Leadership is earned, and leadership is, it comes with, you have to earn that respect and that influence, but leadership is influence, and to the extent that you and I influence someone else's life or thoughts or decisions, you are a leader in their lives. Children can be leaders. My wife and kids are in kitty church tonight. Do you know in that group of children, there are, there are leaders in that room? Those that influence others to do things they should, or maybe to do things they shouldn't? to behave in ways they should or maybe behave in ways they shouldn't. And some of you might maybe say, my, my kid is a leader. I'm just not sure which way we're going to channel that leadership. I know growing up, my, my mom and those that dealt with me and, and my leaders would often say, if we could just channel this energy in the right direction, maybe something good could come out of your life. And there were seasons where they wondered, would that ever happen? And there might still be seasons today. They wonder, is that ever going to happen? But, but children can be leaders. Teenagers can be leaders. Teachers can be leaders, co-workers, fellow church members. Sometimes we think of leaders just according to a flow chart, and the flow chart is clear who the leader is. If you had a flow chart, for instance, on a team, you have the players, and on the flow chart, who is the leader? The what? Talk to me on a team. The players, and who's the leader? The coach on the flow chart. That's who's supposed to be the leader, but did you know at times... Coaches lose their influence. They lose the respect, what what will be sometimes called in professional sports or in collegiate sports. They lose the locker room. They'll say it that way. That coach lost the locker room, meaning he no longer really has any influence on any of those players. He's not really the leader. Now there might be another player that is the leader of that team. There might be a group of players. If he loses the respect and ability to influence the team, uh, he is no longer the leader. In a biblical family, the flow chart, according to Scripture, would show the husband is the head of the home. That's not always a popular teaching in 2020, but that's still a biblical teaching. The husband is the head of the home. The wife is under the leadership of the husband. By the way, that does not mean the husband is a dictator and the wife is disrespected. God has given the wife some very important roles, biblically speaking, in the home. But, but according to Scripture, as you study it, the flowchart of a biblical family, the husband, there, there is leadership. And then together, the husband and wives in the flowchart are the leaders of those children. But we've all seen homes where that's not the case, where we know the children are really the ones running that home. The children on the flow chart might not be up on, on the top of the flow chart, but in reality, they're the ones influencing every decision. We've seen homes where the husband is a toxic leader. We've seen homes where the wife overruns and beats down and, and undermines and belittles the husband. We've seen homes where the biblical flow chart, if you will, is not followed. 
in the church, uh, there, there are leadership, spiritual leadership in, in, in the church. The Bible says the, God gives pastors and for, to lead the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But in many churches, pastors have lost their leadership to families, maybe to a faction or a group or the deacons and the pastor at our odds or the staff and the pastor. And what happens when, when a pastor loses that influence? Often there's division and there's discord and there have been church splits and lives are hurt. And when we don't handle our leadership well in any of those arenas and any others that I could have mentioned, there is always collateral damage. There's always hurt that comes when we don't, when we don't understand the biblical roles of leadership that God has given us. And we're going to study some specific characteristics of Saul's life and leadership. And we're doing it, I hope, for two reasons in the coming weeks. The, the purpose of the series. Number one, I hope that you and I will be able to identify our strengths and weaknesses in our own leadership, in our relationships, and then to improve on those areas as we identify maybe some toxic traits that may be sabotaging our lives, our marriage, our work relationships, our children, our areas of influence so that we can become more godly, biblical leaders in whatever area of influence God has given us. You know, if you lead at work, you say, well, that's a secular environment. You should, as a Christian, have biblical, godly leadership skills that are blessing and benefiting the employees around you. And they may not, may not even understand why, but because of the way that you treat them and the way that you work with them, that, that we should be taking those things. This Christian life is not something we compartmentalize for an hour on Sunday morning and then we just go, no, it should, it should guide every piece and part of our lives. So I hope that it will help us to identify and improve our own leadership and then secondly, to be able to identify those that we have allowed to influence us who may be influencing us in toxic ways or maybe somewhere in our past have influenced us in toxic ways and how to respond in those situations. We're going to get to those, some of those traits in the coming weeks, starting next week, next Sunday night. But tonight is an introductory week, understanding how did we get here. Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul was the very first king that Israel ever had. How did that happen? How did all that come about? We're going to find this story in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. But before we do, we need to understand an overview very quickly to how we got here to the nation of Israel. Okay, and I'm going to, I actually brought some money. My kids that are in, in Kitty Church, my teens are going to be mad. They love trivia. They love trying to win prizes. They're going to be mad to find out I gave money out and they didn't get a chance to win it. So you can rub it in their faces if you're their friends and you won. We're going to start tonight with kids third grade and below. And kids third grade and below, um, parents don't help them. Don't say it out loud, adults. But so we're going we're gonna to study the, uh, the history of Israel here right now. So if you're in this room, third grade and below, and you can tell me the answer. I've got $5 right here. Who was the father of the nation of Israel? The one that God gave a promise to in Genesis chapter number 12, the father of the nation of Israel. And anybody want to stand or raise your hand? The one that started so, oh, oh, oh man, I saw this one standing right here. Let's see, who was it? Abraham, Abraham, they both got it right. And you're both too cute. I can't make anybody mad. So I'm gonna give you both $5 right there, all right? Pass that down, Gloria, if you will, to Sophia. And so talk to me, Brother Doug. Can you take that to, uh, to uh, Aubrey there? Talk to me now. Church family. Who is the father of the nation of Israel? Abraham. All right, let's go sixth grade and below, and I'll wait till you stand up. Sixth grade and below. So Abraham, Abraham had a wife, Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, sixth grade and below. What was their firstborn son? Abraham and Sarah. All right, I saw a hand right back there, the Medes. Yes, sir. 
Isaac, good. Steve, would you take that back right there? $5 there. Isaac, so this is the nation of Israel. We talk about a nation. At this point, the nation of Israel is three people. Talk to me, church. It's Abraham, Sarah, and who? Isaac. Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. That's the nation of Israel. A, a three-person family meal. That's where they made decisions for their nation. And uh, this is the start of the nation of Israel. To this day, well, the nation of Israel, the Jews in the world, it all stemmed from Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Now, Isaac, let's move up to ninth grade and below. Isaac had a son named in that patriarch. Yes, sir. Brian, I saw you right there. Jacob. Very good, Brian, right there. Five bucks. You can let TJ know you got five bucks because he was working in kitty church, all right? And uh, so we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Often, we call these the patriarchs. The government of the nation of Israel in this day, when it was just really a big extended family, it was just kind of like when you get together with your family at Thanksgiving, grandpa and dad and kid, it was, it was what we call family government. They were governed by the patriarchs. We now, Nowadays, that's a, a dirty word used to describe toxic masculinity. That was God's plan for the governing of the nation of Israel, the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, we'll go 12th grade and below, and you can either stand or raise your hand. What did Jacob get his name changed to? Jacob got his name. Oh, I saw Joe wants some money. He stood. He's not even messing around with raising his. Joe? Israel. No more Jacob. And would you take that back there to Joe? Ray Greeno right back there. And uh, the Greeno family. And uh, that's my last $5. Sorry, I was going to give one more out, but the girls, I gave two out. So I have one more question. It's actually the hardest one, but I don't have any money left. But... Uh, so Jacob has his name changed to Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob, talk to me, church family, you can talk to me now. Jacob had how many sons? How many? They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's the little, uh, I didn't know this, in, I knew it, but I'm not great with Bible trivia. I've known it before, but if you would have asked me yesterday or four days ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you, but in study, little, uh, little, little uh, interesting fact here. Uh, what was Jacob? He had one daughter. Anybody know her name? You guys are better than your pastor in Bible trivia, Dinah. I'm not good at that stuff, people. I, I got, they scared me. Caleb brought me up in elementary chapel, and I was going to let all the kids down to get points for the kids. And I, two weeks in a row, he's brought me up for trivia. And I'm thinking, they look at me, I'm their pastor, and I'm going to stand up here and get this Bible trivia wrong. And uh, I got it right both times. So I was, I was very proud of myself. I know elementary chapel Bible trivia. But uh, Dinah, so we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He has 12 children. So Israel at this point is literally just a big family. It's a few generations of people from Abraham and Sarah, and they were governed as a family government. You'll read in the, as you read in the Old Testament, they'll talk about, or even in the New Testament, our fathers, our fathers, which are on the other side of the Jordan, our Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they view those as the fathers of their nation because it was a family government, the patriarchs. And, and so from Abraham to Joseph, you have family government. And Joseph, one of the 12 children of Jacob, when Joseph dies, that, that'll happen in Genesis. When Joseph dies, God raises up a deliverer in Exodus. God, anybody know who that deliverer? Remember who that was? Moses. God raises up Moses and God begins, now we have some prophets, and, and you could say that Abraham was a prophet as well, but God begins to lead them a little differently, not just through the, what we would call the patriarchs, but their government is now, it is a theocracy. A theocracy is when God is the one ruling over all. I know it's a little bit of a classroom right now. We're going to jump into scripture. We want to give us this background of how we get to King Saul. 
A theocracy where God is the one that is ruling over them. God is their president, if you will. God is their king. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to vote for God on November 3rd to run, to run America? And it would, it, would, it, would, it would solve a whole lot of stuff. And that was who was running, or not running, that was who was leading uh, the nation of Israel. It was a theocracy. From Moses until Samuel, it was a theocracy, and God ruled them. And in that time period, you had different people in different positions of leadership. You had judges, Gideon, Samuel, Deborah, a lady judge, because the men, the Bible says the men would not step up. God's plan was that the men would lead them, but they wouldn't, so God used a lady. Deborah and Barak. Uh, you, have, you had the judges, you had the prophets, and you have, you have Samuel as a prophet, others. You had the priests, the priests, the entire tribe of Levites cared for the sacrifices, the temple, the worship. And here in our text, we're going to read about Samuel. We know, many of us would know the story of Samuel. That was Hannah's miraculous son. Hannah had prayed, God, give me a son. And God, she had been barren and God gave her a son. And that is who we're going to read about. Samuel's now grown up. And in, in Israel, they had, they had judges who were more political leaders. They would help lead them into war. You had the prophets who were the spiritual leaders. Well, Samuel was all three. He was a prophet, a priest, and a judge. By the way, Jesus Christ is our prophet, our priest, our king. He is our judge. Jesus Christ fulfills every leadership role that they, they had in the Old Testament Israel. But we see in that time, and so now we come, this is the time of what we would call judges. Judges and prophets were helping to lead the land, one politically, one spiritually. And Samuel is both. He is prophet, priest, and judge. He's, he's, he's a leader in the land, the nation of Israel, in this theocracy. In the theocracy, God would speak to the leaders. God would talk to Abraham, and God would talk to Samuel, and God would talk to Moses, and they would talk to God, and then they would talk to the people on behalf of God. It was God leading the nation. Now let's pick it up. That that was all the introduction. Now let's jump into our message. First Samuel chapter eight. And it came to pass when Samuel was what church? When Samuel was, he's old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre money and took bribes and perverted judgment. What a sad testimony of a wonderful, mighty man. By the way, it's a reminder here that sometimes children of good parents make wrong choices. Some of you, that's been your story, and you beat yourself up over it. And, well, I wasn't the perfect parent. If I would have just done that differently, let me just say there is no such thing as a perfect parent. And, 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 and children have free wills, and they have sin natures, and as they get older, they make their own decisions. And yes, I, I think we can pour some things into them, and we can pray and try to guide, but we cannot, you, you cannot beat yourself up your whole life because of decisions that your children have made. You can pray for them, you can love them, you can stay faithful to God, but that's what happens. Samuel, a good man, a mightily used man, but he makes wrong choices. And we don't know all the reasons here. May I just stop and say this? Kids that are here, elementary kids and teenagers and, and even uh, young, those that are just in the early 20s and kind of getting started in life or in college or in marriage, may I say this? Don't be a child like this that brings that heartache and heartbreak to your parents. We see here, he says that his children walk not in his ways. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. By the way, there's a danger here. These were people that had leadership, but we don't see that they went to God. They started talking amongst themselves. They came up with their own solution. They thought they had, and they said in verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. 
and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like what, church? Like all the nations. They come and, and, and because of one man's failure, if you will, because of the fact, or maybe a couple men, the sons of Samuel, other men decided to take matters into their own hands and come up with their own solution. They should have gone to God and listened to God, but they, they talked amongst themselves. And God's intention was never for Israel to be led by a king. He wanted to lead them. They were his people. He wanted them to operate differently than all the other nations of the earth. This is, and by the way, God wants his people. The Bible still says that you and I were a chosen in people. We're a called out people. We're supposed to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean strange, but it's a set apart, a unique people. God, the the people of God, the families of God, the churches of God should operate, the marriages of God's people should operate differently than the world. God doesn't want us to follow man's wisdom. He wants us to follow God's wisdom and biblical wisdom. And they hear, they said, hey, it's not working out good. This doesn't seem good. We don't like your sons. That doesn't seem like a good solution. Give us a king like all the other nations. The problem is they weren't supposed to be like all the other nations. They were different. They were supposed to be different. Verse number six, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. I believe based on what God tells Samuel here in a moment, Samuel felt like a complete failure. Failure as a dad, failure as a judge, failure as a prophet. My whole life's work, he's old. My life's work is gone. Nobody's following me, and it displeased him. And I believe Samuel had this great despair. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And I do love the fact, the end of verse 6, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Sometimes in our times of despair, other people were trying to take matters into their own hands, and we do the same thing. Okay, well, let me go back against them. Let me fix this. Let me change this. Let me come up with a solution. Samuel's first response in his time of displeasure, his time of despair was what? Let me go see what God says. And in your time of despair, your time of displeasure, I would encourage you, go to God. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try to figure out a solution on your own. Go to God. Verse number seven. So Samuel's talking to God. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people. Give them what they want in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee. Samuel's feeling personal rejection. What does God say? They have rejected who, church? Me, that I should not reign over them. Samuel, it's not your fault. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Verse number nine, it says, now therefore hearken unto their voice, I'm sorry, uh, verse number eight. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Samuel, this isn't your problem. This isn't a failure in your leadership. This is a failure in their hearts. They've been doing this since I delivered them out of Egypt by way of the, the, the plagues and the Red Sea. Verse number nine. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. How be it, now listen to this, God says, I want you to go warn them before you do. Yet protest solemnly, seriously, soberly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Basically, God says, Samuel, go ahead and do what they say, but I want you to go preach a message to them. Be careful what you wish for. I want you to go tell them, here's what's coming. You don't understand. 
if you take these matters into your own hands, here's what you have to look forward to. Be careful what you wish for in asking for a king like all the other nations. We want to we want, we want look like everybody else. We want to have the, the same things that they have. We, we don't want there to be anything different about us. Be careful what you wish for. Verse number 10, and Samuel told all the words of the Lord and of the people that asked of him a king. Verse 11, would you follow along? I'm going to ask you to fill in a couple of things here as we read these verses in verse 11. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Here's what it's going to look like if you're going to have a king. He shall take your what, church? Your what? He's going to take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. Hey, your boys, you've been teaching in the family business all the way they've been growing up? They're going to be gone. He's taking them to his kingdom, and his kingdom is going to get a whole lot bigger, and you're going to be on your own. Be careful what you wish for. That relationship, that training, that your, your sons are going to get called up, and a whole bunch of you are going to lose your sons to the king's uh, pleasure, whatever he wants and needs in the kingdom, because he's going to be the king. It's not going to be a theocracy anymore. It's going to be a monarchy. And whatever the king says goes and whatever he needs. And so don't come crying when, when your business goes down the tubes because your son isn't there for you to pass it on to him. And when your crops start to fail and you can't, you can't do all the work on the land there at your house, don't come crying. Be ready. He's going to take your sons. Verse number 13. Verse number 13. And he will take your what church? Your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your what in verse 14? your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. Hey, those of you that have the best lands, the most, the most fruitful crops, get ready. You're handing it over to the government. Be careful what you vote for. <laughs> That's not my message, but it could be from here. Be careful what you wish for. It's all going to the government. He, if he wants it, he's going to get it. Watch out. Verse number, uh, let's see here, verse number uh, 15, and he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards, give to his officers and to his servants. He will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and he, ye shall be his servants. And ye, notice this, would you read verse 18 aloud with me? Acts, uh, 1 Samuel 8, verse 18, let's read it aloud, ready? Begin, and ye shall cry out in that day, because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. What is Samuel pleading? God said, go solemnly tell him this. He's saying, God has a plan. God has a way he wants his people to live. God has some principles he wants them to live by. And you're pushing against your God-given authorities. And you're pushing against the word of God. And you're pushing against the guidelines that God has set. And you're pushing against those things. And Israel, let me just say to you, be careful what you wish for. It's not going to look the way you think it's going to look. And may I say there's a great application there for all of us. When we push against our God-given authorities, when we push against the truths of Scripture, when we push against the guidelines that God has set up for the family, be careful what you wish for. What has happened in the last several decades in our nation, we begin to push strongly against principles that God laid out for how a nation should run, what marriage should look like, the protection of the unborn. About all, we, We've pushed against those things, and where is it leading our country? Be careful, America, what you wish for. 
Be careful, Christian, what you wish for. Be careful, Liberty Baptist Church, what you wish for. Be careful about those things. Verse number 19, notice what he says. This is a sad verse. We're almost done with our, our verses. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people, what's that verb there, church? The people what? Refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, nah, you're not, nah, we're not listening to that. We will have a king over us. And here it is, verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations. By the way, that's a terrible goal for the people of God. Christian teenager, a terrible goal is that we would be like all the other unbelieving teenagers around us. Young couples, it's a terrible goal that our marriage and lives would have the same priorities that the other unbelieving young couples around us. Parents, it's a terrible goal that we would raise our family with the same principles and priorities that those that know nothing of Christ Church, Liberty Baptist Church, it's a terrible goal that we would look and, and maybe experience and our church would, would believe and, and preach the same thing that, that is politically correct that maybe many other churches are preaching if it's not Scripture. A terrible goal is that we will be like all the nations. God didn't want them to be like all the nations. God wanted them to be a peculiar people unto Himself. No, we'll be, have a king over us we'll be, that we may be like all the nations, verse 20, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. What did they say? We want man to do what God should be doing. We want man to, they were, they, were, they were voting for, we want security and comfort. We want government to take care of all this stuff for us. God, you haven't been enough. You haven't fought enough of our battles. You didn't open the Red Sea wide enough and you didn't give us enough manna and you didn't give us enough fish. We can't trust you to go before us and fight our battles. We want a king to do that. Oh no, give us a king. We don't care what you preach, Samuel. We want a king, verse 21. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man to his city. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. He goes to his city. He was a mighty man of power. And he had a son, verse 2, whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was a head above everybody else. This was a man that commanded respect and had a great presence about him. He was, he was, he was the most obvious choice. And here is how we get... To King Saul. People rebelling against God's plan. Now Saul was a good man. He started with great promise. He was an obvious choice for these things. And so Saul comes on to the scene. But our message tonight is this, and I'll, I'll wrap it up now. Our message is this, be careful what you wish for. I'm afraid, in our application today, I'm afraid as I read 1 Samuel 8, that we, I'm afraid that many of us have the exact same spirit of the Israelites. In our homes, we see this spirit. Why do we have to do that? And why don't my parents let me do that? And why can't we be involved in that? And kids push their God-given authority 
40s sometimes and teens, much like Israel pushed Samuel and God. And parents don't want you to have that cell phone or to listen to that music or to spend time with that friend, to watch that entertainment. And they, they might tell you, well, you'll hear preaching in church and your youth pastor and in youth group and in your home and in chapels. And, and you know what we say? We, 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 the, the, those that love you are trying to say, be careful. This direction leads to some things. Be careful what you wish for. You want to know what that's like and you want to know what that tastes like and you want to try that and you want to experience that. Be careful what you wish for. There's some collateral damage coming down the road, young person. There are some scars and there are some regrets that come along with that addiction and with that experience and with giving up that, that valuable piece of your life at that age. Be careful about that. What are they saying, those that love those young people? Be careful what you wish for. And sometimes young people say, nevertheless, we'll be like all the nations. Be careful what you wish for in our homes. Nevertheless, they refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. They refuse to listen to their God-given authorities. Why do we have to keep living this way? Why can't we live like everyone else? Be careful what you wish for. Husbands can influence wives, and wives can influence their husbands, leading the other away from the things of God. Be careful, wife, what you wish for. Be careful, husband, what you wish for. A pastor might say, parents, pray with your family. Parents, choose Christ and faithfulness to his house over extracurricular activities singles grow in God's word and build a solid spiritual foundation young couples surround yourselves with friends who are strengthening your Christian walk get involved in Christian service teens turn off that ungodly entertainment and be aware of those ungodly relationships read your Bible daily pray to God obey your parents a, a, a pastor might say in our homes if you don't make much of Jesus there's going to come a day when we cry for help and it might be too late to avoid some of the heartache it has already come. And that's what Samuel said. You'll cry out in that day, but it's going to be too late. It's going to be too, you're already going to have brought in some of that heartache. And how do we respond sometimes when we hear that? Nevertheless, we will have a king. And that king is not God. That king is a friend. That king is that activity. That king is my own flesh. That king is that priority. That king is education. That king, you can fill in the blank of all the idols and kings that can steal our hearts. That king is pleasure. That king is money. That king is whatever it might be. And a pastor, a preacher, a, a parent, a godly, God-given authority stands up and says, be careful what you wish for. And what do we say? We will have a king. Let us live the way we live. Be careful what you wish for families in a generation or two, your children or grandchildren, my children or grandchildren may know nothing of Christ. I've seen pastors who led churches with young children. They decided, you know what? I want a different life. And it doesn't take long. I've seen pastors whose children that, that were, maybe were not born or were just little, and they're now, they're no longer, their kids know nothing of Christ. Be careful what you wish for. Not only in our homes, but in our churches. We want to be like all the nations. Why does this church have to do this? And why do we have that? And why do we encourage people to sacrifice their time and their talent and their treasures? And why do we have so many services? And how come we can't do that? And why did the pastor make that decision? Why did the leadership choose that? And why do we make such a big deal about that? And how come we have to do it this way? And why do we have these guidelines for leadership and positions and guidelines in our school ministry? And I wish our church looked like that or sounded like that or felt like that. I wish we could be like all the nations. I'm going to find a church that feels better for me. Isn't that what they said here? We want something that makes sense to us. Be careful what you wish for. How much did you pray about that decision, nation of Israel? They gathered themselves together. Hey, did you see Samuel's sons? Yes, yeah, I saw it. 
I don't really like the way he's leading his own family. Did you see what his boys were doing? I mean, he's no better than Eli. Eli, the, the priest before him, his sons were even worse, but it's just another, he's just another coming of Eli. Oh yeah, he's a great preacher, but his own boys don't even listen. Hey, you know what I think? Did you see how that nation over there, they got a king. Everything's going good. Let's change God's plan for our nation. Let's change God's plan for what he wants and, and be careful what you wish for. And sometimes church members and church families can push and press against their God-given authorities trying to get what they think would be the right solution and to get their spiritual leaders to change from principles that have guided us. Be careful what you wish for. I've watched it in the lives of, even in the five years I've been here, I've seen some good, sweet Christians decide that they want something different, a church that maybe catered to something else or made them feel good. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that you can never leave liberty. I'm not saying that, that if you leave liberty, your family's going to be destroyed. I'm not saying that God only blesses those that are members of Liberty Baptist Church. I'm not saying that. I am saying if God is leading you away from liberty or God is leading you to make a decision for your family that will affect that, make sure that it's God and not your flesh. How much did you pray about it, Israel? What godly counsel did you seek? In fact, when you went to your godly counselor, he told you, you don't want a king. And you know what you said? We don't care what you say. We want a king. We want what feels good to us. Be careful what you wish for. Pastor, why do you have to preach against sexual perversion and against adultery and homosexuality and fornication outside of marriage? And Why can't you just let people love who and when they want to love? And it's just love is love, right? That's what we're being fed everywhere we have. And, and there are pastors that are now giving into that and they're, they're scared to preach against the truths of Scripture. And Pastor, why does our church have to stand against abortion and for life? And why do we have to take such a hard stand on this doctrine or that one? And I don't like it that you make salvation so exclusive. And I'm I'm thankful this is not the spirit of our church, but it doesn't take long for a church to get this spirit for false teaching and error to creep in. I don't like it that you make salvation so exclusive. I, I think if you're sincere, everybody that's sincere will get to heaven. Why don't you just preach God is love? Because he's love, right? And how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell, pastor? Be careful what you wish for. When we start taking matters into our own hands in God's church and preaching and teaching our ideas rather than God's holy word in a matter of a few years or a decade or two, we may have a church that is completely compromised on Bible doctrine and lost the blessing of God. It's happened all over the country, around the world, and throughout history. Be careful what you wish for in your homes, in your churches, in our lives. Well, the Christian life is so hard. I think it'd be easier if I just lived my life like all the people around me that don't know God. I just think my life, my marriage, my family would be a little better and a little easier with a little less God, a little less church, a little less prayer, a little more fun, a little more free time. And I'm, I'm not against relaxation, renewal, free time, family time. I'm not against that. You know that. We have, we, have, we have changed our church calendar that it's rare outside of things like missions extravaganza that we have weekly, other than our regular weekly services, we don't have five and six and eight and 10 other church activities. About once a month, we have one extra church. I'm, I'm for family time, but be careful in our lives what we wish for. I, I won't go into the details, but I told you the story of probably one of the greatest three or four mentors in my life. And his life was completely different after decades of serving God within about five or six years. And I sat down with him at lunch and I asked him about it. And you know what he said, Ryan? I just got off track a little bit here and it started. I just missed church there and I stopped here and I stopped there and his life has had some, some major heartaches and struggles even since that day. I don't rejoice about that. I love that man. He, he's a man that taught me how to drive a stick shift, taught me how to tie a tie, taught me how to make a resume, taught, took me on my first dads and lads camp out with the church family. 
Just a layman, not a, not, I say just a layman. That doesn't, he wasn't a staff member, wasn't paid to do it. He was a godly layman that, that invested in a, a, a boy from a single parent home. But you know what he would say, I believe, if he were here today? Be careful what you wish for. It leads you quickly to things you never expected, you never imagined. Church family, when we choose to go away from God's plan and rebel against God-given authorities in our lives, by the way, when we rebel against God-given authorities in our lives, we're actually rebelling against God. That's what God said here. Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Teenager, when you rebel against your God-given authorities, you're not rebelling against your parents, you're rebelling against God. Pastor, when you rebel against God-given authority in your life, you're not rebel you're rebelling against God. Church family, husband, wife, children. But what does God tell us in this passage when we choose to go away from God's plan? He tells us, Samuel, I want you to go preach. Be careful what you wish for because it will affect Israel, your family. It will affect your family. Do you see it there in verse 11? Verse 11, he will take your sons. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. When you and I go against God-given authority in our lives, be careful what you wish for because it will affect your family. Our families will be affected by those decisions years from now, decades from now. Our family tree can look very different when we say, you know what, all that stuff I was taught and all that stuff from the Bible, it's kind of archaic, it's outdated. I don't think I really need that. And I don't know because we see some of the shortcomings in the way we were brought up or maybe some of the hypocrisies in our parents. You know, I'm going to try a whole different direction. Be careful what you wish for. It will affect your family. That's what he told him right here. You want a king? I'll give you a king but it's going to affect your family. You don't understand how it's going to affect your family. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. Not only did he tell them it would affect their family, he said it will affect your finances. Verses 14 through 16, your fields, your vineyards, your olive yards, your men servants, your maid servants. It's going to affect your finances and it will affect your future. Verse 17 and 18, he said he will take the 10th of your sheep and notice this, ye shall be his servants. You think you're going to get freedom, you're really going to get bondage. You shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. What's my message to us this morning? As we get ready to jump into Saul's life, church family, really the story of Saul all the way through is the story of a man that ended up not following God's plan. Church family, follow God's plan. Keep Christ first in your life. Keep his house a priority in your life. Keep his word the priority, the guidebook for your life. Don't constantly be looking to push the envelope and how much more like all the nations can we become and how much less holiness can we embody and how much less prayer. We see Samuel prayed. We don't see anywhere that they prayed. They made every decision based on what they thought would make their life more secure, easier, and more enjoyable. Can I say that again? They made every decision based on what they thought would make their life more secure, easier, and more enjoyable. Sound familiar? That's all of our nature. That'll make my life easier. I think I'll go there. I think I'll do that. I think I'll work there. I think I'll move there. What does God want you to do? Well, my life will be easier. I'll have more security. They thought, and you know what Samuel said? Be careful what you wish for. This is going to have repercussions you have no idea. You could never imagine. Where did God say it would lead them? He told them to be careful. They wanted less of God's plan and more of man's ideas. And here's my, my questions. I'll give you three questions as we wrap it up. As we study this right here, can I ask you, 
these three questions. Number one, is your family following more after God or more after the world? Is my family following more after God or more after the world? The, what makes sense, humanly speaking, human wisdom? Be careful what you wish for. Is our church following more after God or more after the world? Is your life following more after God or more after the world? We think those things will make us happy. We think they'll bring security. But be careful what you wish for. God is pleading. Go warn them where this path will take them. They're rejecting me and it's going to end badly. I wish they would trust me. I wish they would let me rule and guide their lives and their families and their businesses and their nations. I wish they would desire to let me lead them and guide them and teach them and protect them. And if they won't, Go ahead and give them what they want, Samuel, but they're going to bring heartache upon themselves, their families, and their nation. And church family, desiring to have the freedom of the world will always bring you into bondage every single time. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And in your life and in mine, have you started to conjure and consider ideas and solutions in your head that will lead you farther away from God and not closer to Him? Have you begun to consider and conjure some solutions to whatever you're struggling with that, if you were to be honest, would lead you farther from God and not closer to Him? If you have, my challenge to you tonight is be careful what you wish for. It will affect our future. It will affect our families. He said, Samuel, you can give it to him, but that was never my plan. I wish you'd go preach to him one more time. Be careful what you wish for. And what did they say? Nevertheless, they hearken not to the voice of Samuel. We will have a king. We're going to be like all the nations. And what we're going to read about the nation of Israel under their first king, King Saul, in the coming weeks, all stems back to 1 Samuel 8. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.